Welcome to Cornerstone Church. Give the Lord praise. Isn't that awesome? Wasn't that an awesome time of worship? Amen. Well, if you're visiting with us, thanks for coming today. Uh, we are doing things a little bit different. We usually do our offering at the end. We're going to do communion at the end, so uh, just uh, get prepared for that. And, uh, but welcome again. My name is Sean Apke. I'm the lead pastor here. Men, if you want to go on our men's retreat, it's going to be a blast. You don't want to miss it, but there are some things that you need to do. Uh, you need to fill out this form. There's a, I think they're in the back on our, in our information table. Um, get one of these, fill it out, and you can uh, pay for it. Just put a check in here, fill it out, and put it in the box in the back in our offering boxes that are uh, by the doors. Or you can go in online, and you can do it online if you want to do that, okay? So it's $60. That includes uh, two meals and, uh, and your time with uh, us at the retreat center. It's going to be a great time. You don't want to miss that. Also, this Wednesday night, we're just going to have a time of worship. So if you want to come and hang out with us and just worship the Lord together and pray, it's going to be a great time. So don't miss that out this Wednesday. Amen. God's good, isn't he? Well, look in your bulletin. There's some notes you can kind of write down with us today. We're in a series on 1 Corinthians, and I just outlined this week 14 more messages, by the way. Um, so I won't get finished in October. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm going to try to finish before Christmas. But anyway, um, I actually do. I have 14 more messages. I don't know that I'm going to actually do all of them, but I really believe that Lord wants us to continue. Is that okay? And uh, especially going into these last parts there's some things on love. There's some things on the gifts of the Spirit. And I, I, I want us to get, okay? And I don't want to miss out on that. But uh, today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm skipping two chapters today. Um, basically, they go along with what we talked about last week. And if you want all of our, our you can go online and get all of our uh, messages on this. But 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 says this. And this really sums up that chapter. For though I am free... From all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And, you know, that's really the heart that Paul's doing from chapter 8. You know, that love trumps everything. Amen? And that I don't do certain things. My freedom it doesn't mean that I, I, I can be free if it's going to hurt somebody else. And it's going to cause them to sin and imitate me. So love trumps everything. And so in chapter 9, it says, As though I am free from all men... I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Listen, it's not about you. Everybody say, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God and others. And just always remember that because this is really the heart of, of 1 Corinthians in here. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 through 24, here's what Paul says here. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. That means, yeah, I can do some things, but they're not helpful or they're not beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. What does edify? What we talked about last week. Love edifies. So verse 24, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Listen, if your heart is this, you know, I'm here to take care of myself and I'm not a, I don't have to worry about somebody else. You need to check your salvation. Come on, someone say amen. 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 We are to be about everyone else but ourselves. Selfishness has no place in the body of Christ. Tap your neighbor and say, that's, that's for you. Amen? 
Selfishness is not a part of us. And how many guys have been selfish? My hands, both of my hands are up. Amen. And, uh, but it has no part. And that's the part we have to die to every single day. And that's the whole heart of Paul. Remember, what does Paul discuss more about than anything else in 1 Corinthians? He talks about unity. And to be unified, we must not be about ourselves. We must be about others. And that's what Paul deals with. Now, chapter 11 through chapter 14 really deals with matters about public worship. And here in chapter 11, it deals with part of it. Now, I'm mainly going to talk about chapter, in chapter 11, verse 17 and on. But I wanted to go over the first part where it talks about women's attire and actions. And the, and the last part is observance of the Lord's Supper. You know, the first part really, and I just want to explain a little bit. I don't have time to go into all of it and go into more detail. But it primarily, primarily deals with decorum, proper decorum in worship. Not the relationship with men and women as much. And so the context deals with the new freedom that they're finding in Christ. Which the women in Corinth, at, at Church of Corinth, were using really to flaunt their independence from tradition and culture. And, the, and it deals with also the proper relationship between a husband and a wife, based off of Genesis chapter 2 and, ch- and chapter 3. But Paul discusses head coverings. And so it's not, not talking about that you need to wear head coverings here. But, it's, it's, but it was, also wasn't limited to women. It was also men were doing this. And so as usual in Corinth, the problem is from two directions, isn't it? It was a sign of uh, an uh, elite social status. So some men were covering their heads during worship as they did in the pagan uh, temples. And so Paul was kind of coming against that. And, and the women were uncovering their heads during worship. And it was a sign of their so, social freedom that they were experienced with, with the Lord. You know, they had freedom. They didn't have to do that. It was about Christian freedom. But they were removing what they called their marriage veils when they led in public worship in the house church meetings. And a, and a Christian woman in Corinth you know, basically by doing that was giving the other women who weren't believers and other men who weren't believers in Corinth false impression concerning their nature and their Christian freedom. And so it became a stumbling block to others. And so they could be viewed as someone who did not recognize her relationship to her husband when they did that. And so Paul was kind of coming against that and saying, listen, what again, it's not about your freedom it's about others. Amen? And so love trumps all. And so he was kind of coming against that. And so that's where it was in the first part of this chapter. But I want to deal with verse 17 and on. So go ahead and look there in verse 17. And uh, Jesus modeled some things for us. He gave us two ordinances, two commands to those who follow him, two directives. And the first one was water baptism he gave us. And in Matthew 28, it says, And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so he gave us baptism. And Christ himself was baptized. Uh, uh, and all of us sh- should do the same thing. In fact, we're going to have the baptism at the end of, of October here on Sunday mornings. If you have never been baptized, you need to be baptized. And uh, there's some information on our counter outside. You can also call here to the church and we can give you more information about that. The second, though, ordinance was communion. Communion is also called the Lord's Supper, and some, some traditions is called the Eucharist. And, and Jesus did this. And in Luke 22, verse 15 through 20, he, says, he said to them, I earnestly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So Jesus did this with his disciples before he went to the cross. 
For I tell you, I will not eat until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, divide it amongst yourself. For I tell you from that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave to them, saying, This is my body which was given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This is the cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Christ celebrated the first communion, and he asked us to do the same thing. We eat and drink in remembrance of Christ, of who he is, and what he had accomplished. The reason we do that is to remind ourselves of our new covenant, is to break into that and say, okay, I need to enter into this more. I need to develop this more. I'm so happy that God purchased you and I with the blood of Jesus our Lord and Savior. Aren't you glad about that? Amen? Amen? Okay. Here, let's look in verse 17. You know, the church here in Corinth is attempting to observe the Lord's Supper, but they had a problem. This church was messed up. I mean, know that. You know that by now. They didn't do things right, and a lot of times they did things selfishly. But you, now listen, just don't put too much on them. They didn't know any better. They didn't have the Bible like you and I have. They didn't have thousands of years of under, trying to understand the Christian community, understanding this word. And so don't put too much on them. You, you guys are dorks, you know? That's what you want to look at them. But that's who they were. That's what they had. They didn't understand a lot. And the problem, though, here was so severe that Paul tells them that they're not eating the Lord's Supper correctly. And he says, when you come together, it's for the worse and not better. Why is that? Because there was division. Now look in verse 17. It says, now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. First of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. So when he's hearing, Paul's hearing, remember these are corrective verses here, that Paul's hearing there's divisions. Remember, Paul deals with unity. Why is unity so important? We're going to find that out even more here in this chapter. But he deals with that. And unity can be very divisive in a church, in the body of Christ. And it's so important here that Paul says, because of this division, you're not taking the Lord's Supper correctly. So what is the division? It's really, we see here, it's a division between the rich and the poor. On one hand, Paul's grateful for these divisions. Look at verse 19 here, and I'll go into this. He says, For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. So in one way, Paul's grateful for it because he's saying, I can see who's mature. I can see those who are actually leaders. I can recognize those who are mature believers because you're not going into this division. You're not playing a part in division. Real Christian maturity means you stay out of a conversation that's causing division. That's a word called gossip. How many of you guys ever heard of that before? That when someone says something about somebody else that's in a derogatory way or they're coming against somebody else, you stop and says, no. A, Christian, a mature Christian says, have you talked to them first? And if they say, no, I haven't, then what do you say? Then stop talking to me about it. Come on, that should, that should be chill bumps and everything. Paul deals with this. And he says, because of this division, you're not taking the Lord's Supper correctly. 
But he's glad of this division because now he's seeing, he recognized those who are genuine. Let them function as leaders. Leaders always lead first by personal example. They can be trusted. And we know it's a division between the rich and the poor because of the text. The situation is this. When the early church would meet, they would often have a meal together. The Lord's Supper or communion would follow this feast. So they would come together and and have supper together and eat. And uh, a lot of churches still do that today. They'll have, have, during one of their services, they'll, they'll eat together. And it's a sign of unity. And, you know, most of that practice was abandoned years ago, but some churches still do it. Our church used to do it a number of years ago on Wednesday nights. Isn't that right, Georgian? They used to have supper here, and you could come and eat. And it was, it was a sign of unity. Amen? I'm so glad God created food to be a part of unity, aren't you? Amen? <laughs> and so here he is in, in verse 20. It says, it says therefore... When you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one of you takes his own supper ahead of the others. One is hungry and another one is drunk. So instead of eating together, which would demonstrate unity, some of the folks would would eat all their food before everybody else got there. Or they would hoard their food and and not share with the people who didn't have any. Now, the poor aren't out of this because what would happen, too, is that they would do the same thing. And so some of them were eating and some of them were drinking. And a lot of times they would drink the wine and they would get drunk. Somebody says, you know, that wine back then, that didn't have alcohol in it. But how in the heck did they get drunk? But anyway, (laughs) verse 22, look what Paul says. What? He doesn't believe this is happening. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say of you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you in this, you know. He says, no. Why are you doing this? Why are you hoarding from somebody else? Why are you eating and not sharing? It'd be like if we had a potluck and and the, the first table that gets up eats everything. Wouldn't that be terrible? And then so these other tables says, well, I'm going to get all this wine before you do. <laughs> That's somewhat what was happening here. See, there was division in church based on an economic status a lot of times. And that is completely unacceptable. Because let me tell you something. No matter who you are in here, no matter what status you have out there, listen, at the cross, we're all on one level. We stand on even ground. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one greater. Amen? So there is division here. And then in verse 23 through 26, Paul seeks to remind them. Look what he does here. He brings them back to the cross. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and says, Take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. This do, and as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. The bread that was broken is the body of Christ for you and I. 
Do this in remembrance of me. Remember what he did. See, I tell you what, church, if we understand this fully, and we take, when we take communion or we think about the cross of what he had to go through and what he did so you and I can live in freedom, if we really take that seriously and understand that, we're not going to do some of the things that we do to other people. We're not going to do the sin that we do sometimes because we remember what he went through. And he says, for often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And so, Paul, how, how often should we do it? I don't think that was Paul's concern. Some, some people think you have to do it every Sunday. Some people think you have to do it this way and this way. Some people think just on, on Easter and on Christmas. But it, that wasn't Paul's concern. Paul's concern was this. And this is important. It's how do we do it? How we do communion is based on why we do it. We proclaim the death of Christ. So what is the Lord's Supper? It's a corporate demonstration of the saving act of Jesus Christ. Where there can be no divisions or factions. Because we stand on common ground. See the whole purpose of the Lord's Supper was really to bring about unity. See, Christ came not just for you, but he came for us. Amen? He came for all of us to bring us back into a family where we're unified, where we love one another, where we care for one another. It's not about your status. It's about him. See, the Lord's Supper is not ours. It's his. And therefore, it is to be shared as he directed. Is the bread and the cup. It's... It's, it's the whole heart of God to remember and to flow under why Christ gave his life to you and I. He did it freely, not thinking about himself, not even understanding or even un- knowing if we were going to praise him, if we were going to bow down. He did it no matter what. He was bruised. He was afflicted. He died for you and I. He was beaten and he was also forgotten by his friends. But he still went on and did it freely, not complaining and still forgiving and still loving, even though his closest friends left him. When we remember the communion, when we do communion, remember what Jesus did. That means we die to ourselves. We die to ourselves. In verses 27 through 32, Paul really explains some things here. Look what he says here. He explains really the consequences of eating and drinking. He says, look at this. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Wow. I don't want to be guilty of the body and blood of Jesus. I don't know if anybody hurts my son. I'm going to be ticked off at them and I'm going to come after them. That's what that's my flesh wants to do, right? I don't want to be guilty of that with Jesus. But look what he says here. But let a man examine himself. So let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who drinks, eats and drinks in an unworthy manner. Look what happens. 
drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and some sleep. That means die. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastised by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. See, you profane, you make it unworthy, the body and the blood of Christ, if we don't partake it correctly. So Paul says, examine yourself. Very well, what does that mean? How do we examine? What do we examine ourselves about? What is it that we should seek to focus upon when we think about ourselves? Well, in context, let me assure you that it is not talking about most of your sin. That when we examine ourselves, it's not saying, well, I got to get the sin out of my life before I can take communion. You know, in context, that's not what it's talking about. As a believer, though, you should always do that. And you should always, every day, God, am I right with you? Am, am I, did I allow anything to come in? I need to examine myself. And if, and if anything's come in, I'm not going to let sin stop me from moving on with you. I'm going to repent, and I'm going to take this body. I'm going to take this blood. So sin should never stop you from taking communion. Let me tell you why, because none of us would be able to, right? But that's not really what it's talking about here. But you do need to examine yourself all the time. And as a believer, that God, no, I'm, I, I might let this thing come in, the sin come in, but that's not me. Christ died for freedom. And he's died to forgive me. And he's empowered me to get out of it. So I release those things in Jesus' name. That's the right form of repentance. But this is what we should examine ourselves in the context It's about unity. It's about our relationship with the people in the body of Christ. Judge yourself rightly. Do I have unity with the persons next to me? Do I have anything against the person over here or the person over here or the person right here or even here? Paul says if you do and you don't deal with that, You are taking communion incorrectly. And you're causing judgment to come upon yourself. See, listen, church, and as we go on in in the 1 Corinthians, it's more about love than anything else. If you don't have unity, that means if you have something in your heart against somebody else, drop everything you're doing and make it right. That is so important. We have it all wrong when we take communion. It's, it's for us to examine our unity. Do I really love my brother and sister? And you may disagree with them, but you need to love them. Lay down your life for them. Prefer them above yourself. And that's why in John, Jesus said this in verse thir- chapter 13, verse 35. It says, by this... All will know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. That must be why that Paul says, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. It's so important that we judge ourselves. Am I... Am I living a life that's worthy of the calling of Christ? 
And it's not about you just messing up. I'm, I, I think this is the main issue. And you see this in Jesus' teaching. You see this in Paul throughout Corinthians about talking about unity. Am I right with my brother and sister? Am I talking about them? Am I holding grudges against them? And let me tell you something that happens. And this has happened because I know it's happened to me. And I've seen it in my life. And it's ugly. And I've, and you, you've seen it in your life. So don't just think you're, you're out of this. Is that you may have something against them. And you don't pray for them. And you may even try to cause them to fail. You've got to check your heart got to check your heart there was a uh, pastor that i knew i didn't know him very well he's very well known if i mentioned his name you would um you would know him i didn't like him i thought he was arrogant no he was arrogant he was very arrogant the reason i didn't like him he had called me out in the service one time I had an offense. Didn't really know it. I was on my way down to Texas one day with my family, visiting some family down in Texas. And I get a call. It was late at night. It was about 8, 8, 8, 8 p.m. And I get a call from a friend of mine. Hey, Sean, did you hear? And I said, what, what, hear what? He said the name. He's fallen. It hasn't been in the news yet. And I heard... I inside of me and i think it actually came out how many guys ever you thought something but you actually said it (laughs) did i did you hear that i you know well i said it out loud yes my wife um didn't know what was going on and the guy kind of paused and says and something just welled up in me i says why did that come out that was so wrong and i repented right there to that that man on the phone and i talked to lisa and i says i have an offense i was so wrong when someone falls we don't need to say yes we need to run to them pick them up and love on them church hasn't done that because we're not taking communion right we need to examine ourselves church If our church here at Cornerstone is going to go anywhere, it's going to go where because we love one another, not because we got the greatest worshiper, the greatest preaching, the greatest children's ministry, or the greatest services, or or we feed people. You know, we can feed people and not love them just so we can do it to feel good about ourselves. That's pharisaical. Amen? Do I love one another? So here's some questions. Questions are very helpful that you need to ask people. You need to ask them, how are we doing? Kind of seem distant. Are we okay? Because listen, when you start asking questions like that, hey, listen, I did this. How did that affect you? When you go to somebody and you feel like there's something going on, maybe with you or, or them, whatever, Listen, this stops the plan of the enemy in your life and allows the plan of God to continue. Hey, we seem divided. Are you okay? Or is it just me? You know, unity is worth being uncomfortable, getting out of your comfort zone. I, I read this commentary. 
And this guy said this, is one of the most fearful things in the church is division. Because it is one of the first, listen, it is one of the first and surest sign of spiritual weakness. Paul says, these divisions, I can tell who are pure, who are right or not. So he says, one of the first is the one of the first and surest sign of spiritual sickness. One of the first symptoms of worldliness and backsliding, and it often it shows up in compromised doctrine or lifestyle, is dissension within a congregation. So I know when I carry an offense or I have something against my brother and sister where I don't prefer them more than me, I know there is something wrong with me. And if I don't know it, my wife does. And I'm so thankful for somebody in my life that will not take my junk and will tell me you're wrong. And I hope you all have somebody that says, that is wrong. We need that. Because when we stand here and we take communion in a few moments, you need to examine yourself. Because listen, God cares about His name and He cares about His church and He will move in our lives to bring discipline in us to bring us to a proper place. In verse 32, He says, But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned by the world. So in verse 33, he says, Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, as you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order later. He does that in the next few chapters. We'll talk about that later. So when you come together, wait for one another. Prefer the person in front of you. What Paul's addressing here. He wants us to be unified. He wants us to be right with one another. And listen, this is a very deep and hard thing. And sometimes we can just blow it off. And I don't want you to blow it off at all. Because as we take communion here, I don't want us to be like the church in Corinth where they had their eyes on the wrong things. They had their eyes on themselves. And we should pause to make sure our eyes are looking at the right things. And these are the things we look at. This is what communion does when we, we look back at the cross. We look what Jesus did and how he did it. We look inward and we examine ourselves. That word examine means this, to test or to prove. We look around our fellowship with others. We make it right. We look forward to the return of Jesus Christ. And if he wants to come tonight because of the blood moon, I'm okay with that. But there's no room for favoritism in the church on any basis. We all stand on common ground. You are not greater than the person next to you. You only have your greatness because of Jesus. So really, it's him who's great. Let's be grateful for the work. Of Jesus. None of us deserve the gospel. Therefore, it's our joy to die to self and prefer others. For the glory of God, He gets the glory.
And I want us to move forward as a church. And let's do this, amen? I want to prefer you more than me. I want to lay my life down for you. I want you to have, the, have that heart too. We can't do it without the power of the Lord, but we can do it with his power. Amen? And let's love one another as Christ has also loved us and gave his life for us. Amen? I want the ushers to come up. We're going to pray. We're going to give you the elements of communion. Hold on to them. But as we kind of sing this song, as they, they do this, just examine yourself and ask the Lord. And make it right right now with the Lord. And then when you, you have an opportunity, make it right with the person that you have something against. Amen? Bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, thank you for your word and your faithfulness. Thank you for Jesus. We just want to be like you. We want to love like he loves. God, make us the church, the body of Christ that you died for, that you see through Jesus. So, Father, as we take this time, we examine ourselves. Do we love our brothers as ourselves? And, Father, show us where we don't. And we will make it right in the name of Jesus because we want to follow, imitate you in Jesus' name. We thank you for this time of communion, of fellowship with your body and your blood. And we do this in remembrance of you in Jesus' name. Ushers, go ahead and pass the elements of communion. So I I believe that communion definitely is a unifying time when we do it corporately. Amen? Um, To be one, to be loving one another, to have the love of God. Now listen, you can only do this with the power of the Holy Spirit. really love like Jesus loves with the Spirit of God inside of you. So when we remember what he did, we're receiving even more of his Spirit, more of who he is. He died. He basically exchanged his life. He gave us his life, and we give us give him ours. He gets the raw end of the deal, but that's what happens. Amen? But that's good for us. It's good for you. It's good for me as we take this, you've been examining yourself, hopefully, okay? Take it with freedom. Make the things right that you need to make right. And just receive. Communion is all about that. It's just receiving what he did and begin to walk in who he is. Amen? So he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body that's been broken for you do this and remember to me. So, Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for what he went through, Lord, that he was broken for you and I. So we might be healed spiritually, relationally, and physically. 
that our mind can be renewed. Our thinking can be renewed. And we bless you for that. And so, Father, as we take this and we give thanks to you, bring us in more unity with, your, with you, Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit now. In Jesus' name. Go ahead and take it. In the same manner, you also took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of my new covenant and my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This represents the blood of Christ. Very powerful blood. You guys remember that, that the old hymn, there's power in the blood. There is. It, it doesn't just cover sin, it wipes it completely away. When we receive what Jesus did on the cross, we receive his blood. The power of it and what happened to it today is a new day for you. I don't care who you are, a new day is a new day. Amen? It's a good thing. You are cleansed, you are righteous because not what you've done, but because of what he's done. And we receive that righteousness. And when we receive that righteousness, we can walk in that righteousness, that right standing with God. And so that means I can forgive you because I've been forgiven. I've been cleansed. I can love you because I've been loved. And I look back, I don't deserve love, but he loved me anyway. Even when I cursed him, he still loved me. So you can curse me, I can still love you because, not me, because of what he's done in me. So Father, we thank you for your blood that has power to live. We have a transfusion going on here today. We exchange our sinfulness for your complete, whole, perfectness. And we receive everything that you have, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for love. We thank you for power, the enabling power of God in the name of Jesus in our life, the grace of God to do what you've called us to do, to be who you've called us to be. And we thank you. And so we thank you for the blood that was poured out in Jesus' name. Amen. Lift your hands to the Lord. Just worship Him right now. Worship Him right now. Just thank Him. You are worthy, Lord. Come on, sing that. 